the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. This week we're coming to you live from Shanghai, where I am with Lloyd's List China editor, Sishin Chen, and a special guest for this week's edition, Bill Gu, uh, executive director of the Chinese leasing giant ICBC. Ni hao, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. So we're recording this on the sidelines of a ship finance conference here in Shanghai. And uh, Bill, I want your take on the current trends in ship finance, particularly the uh, apparently unstoppable rise in power of Chinese leasing that in many ways is rewriting some of the rules of shipping finance as we understand them. Um, but yesterday, Sichen and I, we were out at the, uh, the vast China Import Expo, speaking to Costco at their World Shipping Summit, but also a few people on the sidelines. So I, I want to start with that and some of the themes that were being raised this week. Uh, out here, the, the Expo has been pretty hard to miss, I think. Uh, you know, we've had uh, Xi Jinping in town, along with uh, French President Emmanuel Macron, uh, both making headline-grabbing statements uh, on mm-hmm. trade. Um, of course, indirectly criticizing uh, Donald Trump's administration for its uh, somewhat confrontational approach to demanding <laughs> trade policy changes from China. Mm-hmm. But for those listeners perhaps um, not caught up in the buzz here in, in Shanghai, it's perhaps worth explaining that uh, this uh, import expo is effectively a, a sort of an event designed to promote the, uh, the image of China as a big customer for foreign exporters and a proponent of free trade. Mm. Uh, we've got more than 3,000 companies, I think, from around the world who've sent delegates to or open booths at uh, this uh, immense convention center. Mm. I, I, it's quite hard to describe how big this place is yes. for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I was offered a useful uh, and quite pointed comparison. Apparently it has five times the exhibition space of the Javits Convention Center in New York City. Uh, <laughs> the trade war is not just a question of tariffs, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but uh, I, I wonder, I mean, does this week um, tell us anything um, significantly new about the trade outlook for shipping? Xi Jinping obviously uh, broadly repeating the uh, the free trade principles, promising to open up the Chinese economy, you know, with a bit of Trump bashing and uh, uh, unilateralism on the, on the side. But, um, I mean, Sitchin, I'll start with you. I mean, what, what do you think in terms of the statements this week? We've heard from Costco talking about adding value into the chain. Broadly speaking, this all sounds like China very much going out there and saying, we are ready to do business, come, come do business with us. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, you know, with the uh, against the backdrop of the uh, Sino-U.S. trade war, I think China is desperately uh, needs some you know change of its image about uh, we are the dominant world exporters uh, that uh, you know taking all your money uh, from your country. Uh, instead, uh, with the you know uh, the rise in middle class here, uh, we are trying to. Uh, build our own domestic market so that we can import more from you know the rest of the world mm-hmm. so that uh, the trade uh, with China will be uh, a mutual benefit you know with all the foreign partners including US so I guess that's the image that the president she uh, want to give the rest of the world mm. uh, when it comes to Costco's event obviously it's one of the largest state-owned shipping conglomerates in the world then you know it comes with no surprise that the company want to put emphasis on cooperations um, you know we are large but we're not going to remove you from the market we instead we want to cooperate with you uh, you know along the so-called ships you know shipping industry train mm. but on the other th- hand it also reflects the fact that uh, you know the growing headwinds facing the shipping industry makes uh, players increasingly need 
uh, to cooperate with the others. Uh, you know, one of the example made by um, Captain Xu is that uh, you know the rising demand uh, for integrated end-to-end -end services uh, with the uh, changing trade pattern, and uh, it, the supply chain is extremely complicated and no single companies along the logistics chain can do that by itself mm -hmm. so uh, you know carriers you know cargo owners uh, freight forwarders uh, regulators financiers have to work together in order to adapt themselves to that uh, you know shifting sense mm. does that ring true with you bill I mean the, the the word collaboration and cooperation has been mentioned to me you know, more times than digitalization, which is surprising because that is the general buzzword that we get from most things. But it does seem that this concept of the value chain mm. is very much part of the thinking here in China. Like you said, you know, China try to um, cooperate with more company and also other countries, and uh, you know, especially in the shipping side, because China actually, you know, we produce so many ships, also we import so many cargoes, but in the meantime, we also export so many cargoes outside. Mm. So right now, th by working with the China leasing house. We also provide the capital mm. in shipping, so to support the global shipping business. So it's a very good example to see how the shipping is a good example for the global cooperation. You know, not just for China itself, but actually cooperate with the Western countries, European countries, also with the African countries, so all globally. Mm. So that's a very good example to show us and uh, the willingness to cooperate with the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's significant, I think, that the expo happened a day after um, the end of the trade talks, the regional trade talks that have been building for the last seven years uh, with uh, Asian partners, they ended with mixed results. Uh, you know, n India notably not there in part of the deal. Um, but the point is that w whatever way the trade war with Washington ends, the prospects of more tensions between China and US really has put the pressure on Beijing to open up its markets for companies and factories. And Asia is now the focus and Sitchin and I we've been talking to a number of people this week about shifting production lines and um, you know the Asia trading with Asia scenarios that are coming through and I think certainly the expo has been the focal point for a lot of discussions with customers coming in having discussions about what prospects they have mm -hmm. and looking at scenarios and mm -hmm. I think flexibility probably is the one thing that everybody's looking for because you know there is no dominant trend in technology there's a lot of um, unknowns in mm. terms of uh, world global economy and the macro political environment people are hunkering down and looking for flexibility i think exactly but i mean the the, the specific conversation that we had with a, a well-known uh, logistics provider was very much you know reinforcing this idea that their customers are coming in and investigating those new markets so it's not just a question of china it's yeah. a question of all of Asia now. Mm. Certainly. I mean, with the uh, growing uncertainties, um, I think the cargo owners are looking for uh, you know, opportunities to diversify uh, their uh, you know, sourcing uh, markets mm. as well as the, you know, the, the, the manufacturing base. So it all makes sense. Uh, so I think, guess, you know, one of the impact on shipping is that uh, the, the services and the routes will be more sort of you know, diversified mm. uh, as a result of it. Mm. Okay, Bill, let's move on to the uh, the issue of financing. This yeah, exactly. Your, yeah, your please. expert uh, area. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, we heard this morning at uh, the conference that we're all at here today mm -hmm. how, just how quickly, you know, Chinese leasing companies really are filling the void left by European banks in shipping. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the numbers flashed up on the screen uh, in, the, in the few bits that I did understand, not mm -hmm. in Chinese. Um, 
Chinese leasing houses provided uh, almost 20% of global shipping capital in 2016, 25% in 2017, mm. 30% in 2018, and the expectation is that trend will continue. Explain to the to the non-leasing uh, experts uh, listening in exactly what is the sort of trend behind those numbers and uh, what are the factors that lead you to think that this is going to continue? Thank you. So and the China Leasing House and was founded in January in 2007, 2008, mostly. So, and uh, right now we have uh, more than 10 major China leasing houses and very actively in the global shipping finance, especially maybe after, you know, 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. when the more European bankers significantly had withdrawal from the shipping, finance, I would say shipping finance market, including like a British one, RBS, or some German banks, or also some French banks as well. So, and also including some Scandinavian banks. And, you know, Meantime, you know, the global shippers are still be very actively to looking for the new opportunity. So they come to the Asia and especially come to China, you know, to looking for the new capital from China. Meantime, also there's so many in the you know the shipbuilding factories and then, you know shipyard. They still need the jobs to still need to export the ships. So they need also to cooperate with the China leasing house to then you know more and more and uh, you know shipping finance. I think it's just one reason, but in the meantime, also China leasing house, you know, by cooperating with the global shipping customers, they become more professionally, also to better understand about the global customers' need. So, you know, meantime, you know, they're not just for the you know, banking background, but they also have the shipping background people to join the company. So that's why they have the very more, let's say, in the easily to get understand what's the global shipping customers they need. Mm. That's why they can provide the capital and uh, also design the required structure in the leasing structure to meet with the customer's need. That's why it's growing very fast, especially in the past five years. You know, back to five, five years, and like I said, 2013, 2014, take the ICBC leasing example, you know, the global US dollar-based business, global business, it's very small portion, maybe in the 10 or 20 percent. Mm. Rest will be the more the B and the domestic business. Now, 2019, you know, situation become vice versa. Mm. So, in the more than um, 80, 90 percent in the U.S. dollar is global business. Less than 10 or maybe 20 percent is more domestic business. Mm. So, the global market become more important for the China leasing house, not for ICBC leasing, but for other China leasing houses as well. There's more and more, you know, the China leasing house and. Uh, you know, combined, I would say, their shipping expertise and knowledge with more strong banking background to work together to support this business. I just want to read the question that uh, actually you touched upon this morning about, uh, you know, the trend of uh, the business model of Chinese leasing companies. You were saying that uh, uh, there have been, you know, um, more operating lease now uh, than financial lease uh, mm. because you know the, the the market environment has changed obviously um, could you you know give <coughs> us a bit more details about uh, what exactly this trend is that's a that's a very good topic and um, like like other banks said about you know the Chinese capital rather than maybe 30 percent of the global shipping capital you know I think it's kind of trend so you know when we see this and uh, the good food company mm. and uh, the headquarters of each banks and encourage their leasing house vehicle to do more in the shipping finance market, but the market itself not grow that fast. Mm. You know, for example, the new building, you know, had been you know, reduced 50% yeah. in 2015 compared with the last year, which means the demand for the new capital had been reduced as well. So which means that there's some kind of redundant of the capital in the China leasing house. Uh, of course, we don't want to do, you know, increase the supply to the shipping market. 
which may be ruin the recovery of the shipping. So meantime, we have to looking forward and the, the, the demand. The demand not by the shipper side, but sometimes the demand by the cargo owner side. Mm. So if cargo owners still need the ships, but the ship not to be built enough quickly and uh, you know needed. So for that requirement, supposed the market, that's why the shipping, the leasing house, you know, try to fill the gap as well. Mm. So the gap not for the banking side, but the gap for the you know the supply, mm. which is the shipper today's shipper does not want to produce more ships for the cargo they need. So that's why there's more and more I would say. The operation leasing, but of course not not be possible with 100%, even not 50%. I think 20-30% of the whole leasing house maybe can generate maybe you know 20% of the of the volume in the operation leasing mm. to fill that kind of gap, which the cargo owner, there's strong demand still in the in the ships, in the dry bulk, maybe in the tankers, some maybe even the LNG ships they need, and also the cargo owner believe that you know if they work directly with some of the leasing house for some specific project finance project shipping, maybe the cost, the transportation cost would be reduced. Mm. If they're working with, the, I would say, the traditional shipping company, then the shipping company have to borrow money and uh, you know raise money capital from other banks, from the private equity. You know, if they have more laps, which means the cost of the shipping become more expensive. If they have the chance of working directly with the China leasing house or maybe other leasing house, the total cost could be reduced. That's also the motivation for them also try to work with them. But this is a new model. So haven't anybody have tried yet? So yeah. it's still in the kind of the trial stage. That's why we, as I said, I don't think it'll become like a like a mainstream. It's only become a twenty or thirty percent maximum. Yeah. But th- this this concept that you know the leasing house can effectively bypass the ship owner completely and just work directly with the cargo interests. Very interesting. Going back to that issue of adding value into the to the chain. I mean, this is a model now that is evolving. The danger, of course, for, for shipping listeners is that you know the traditional ship owner is is a concept that looks endangered under this scenario. No, I don't. I don't think it will be dangerous for the traditional shipping company. As I said, it's just fill the gap. Mm. You know, this kind of market maybe food and uh, maybe the profit too low, mm. maybe the investment too big, maybe the say the retaining the period too long. So this kind of business is not so attractive for the traditional shipping company. I think for the traditional shipping company, they like the sport market mm. because they understand the, the shipping market better than anybody else. They like the risk, which also can get a higher return. Mm. But for the banking background of the leasing house, they prefer maybe a more you know, stable market, yeah. not too high, of course not too low as well. So they like to leave the long time period of the chartering contract with without those China leasing house can build ships dedicated for those cargo owners. Yeah. So that's a different market, as I said. You know, so but presumably we're talking about larger asset sizes, larger cargo interests. We're talking, you know, Cargills, Vales, Trafigura's of the world, and we're yep. talking Cape sizes plus. Mm. That would make financial sense in terms of stability that you would be looking for in such a deal. Exactly, that's kind of the market we are looking for. A little bit of bigger size, mm. also you know, they're, you know, I would say a little more tailor-made right. ships. Okay. Yeah. And of course, with a longer chartering contract, mm. so it's a, it's a similar, still very similar, like a kind of the you know bank loan structure, mm-hmm. but you know the, the it's, it's a little more complicated than bank loan. Mm. So you have to and uh, take back your interest, your principal by operate mm. those assets, you know smoothly and also no mistake to get back. So that's that's but fundamentally still be like a traditional the financial structure. Yeah, but on the other hand, I think uh, you know. In this model, it seems to be that some of the traditional owner have transformed their role as a ship manager to work with the leasing companies. Is that sure? I yeah. think also the ship owner, 
you know, the traineeship owner have to, you know, could be like the, you know, the, the, the shippers, you know, ship manager working with this financial leasing house. But in the meantime, they also become like the partners. Mm. They can do like the you know, joint venture with the, with the China leasing house, work together, you know, because for them, they don't need to invest 100% capital themselves. They can you know, invest maybe 20, 30% capital, but they can operate 100% ships, you know, under their capability. So that will be beneficial for both sides. For us, you know, for the China leasing house, they don't have the, like the technical background or the, the experience. Mm. They also need this kind of the professional people to help us. Mm. That's also a good example for the you know, global, global corporation. You know, that's very, I think it eventually become a win-win solution. Possibly. I, yeah. I, it, it does beg the question, of course, that there, there will be at least some traditional egos in the market that like calling the shots and <laughs> uh, perhaps <laughs> won't like to be sharing. Uh, but uh, it's an interesting model, certainly. It, it is, yeah. But there were some leasing houses actually uh, start to get into the sport market, right? Yeah, that's also what I mentioned in this morning. So, and, um, you know, that's... Uh, I don't really understand why, mm. so I can't explain to them. But maybe and the, they want to take some try. Yeah, you know, usually the, for the leasing house, the, at least one billion US dollar shipping asset. If they take one percent mm. to try these sport markets, I don't think there's any risk because they can manage their risk based on their portfolio very well. Of course, if they put one hundred percent asset into the sport market, that's totally different. It's more like a shipping company instead of the banking. So I think you have to manage your portfolio well. But I don't, I don't think it's wrong to try a little bit in the sport market. Because you can train your team slightly, you know, to understand about the really shipping market would be, because the shipping still be very dangerous and uh, risky and the uh, business. But say. interesting to hear that that innovation and trialing new concepts and slightly more sophisticated models is is now really happening at pace. That's right. That's right. That's uh, that. How can you train your team? Because and uh, you only can train your team by putting them into the water. Mm. That's how you can learn the swimming, right? That's the way. So you can't just give them the theory on the book. Mm. You have to really give them some kind of the business to run this. So, you know, that's um, that thing, I think China, which means also for the China leasing house, they treat the shipping finance not for the short-term business, they treat for for the long-term. They want to be in, in business like other Western shipping company, hopefully be 100 years on as well. So that's why they have to train the team spend by spend, you know, to give them some ideas of how the shipping look like. The other um, topic I wanted to ask you about, when I talk to banks in Europe, um, ESG is the, uh, the, the buzz phrase. Uh, the green bonds, uh, Poseidon principles, the the requirements in terms of sustainability um, and compliance when it comes to uh, environmental sustainability goals are now front and center in pretty much every discussion that I'm having. Mm -hmm. We saw the launch of the Poseidon principles earlier this year, um, notably with a lot of Western banks, but no Chinese banks. Now, at the time they launched, there was the anticipation that we were gonna see some Chinese banks join I've not heard of that yet. I'm just wondering, do you have any insight in terms of, is there an appetite from this side of the world uh, to join in to such things? I, I won't say it's insight, but uh, I would say, you know, based on my understanding, because and, uh, you know, all the Chinese bank is managed by the CBRC, China Bank Regulation. Mm -hmm. So it's a new international contract agreement document regulation. I would say it's been you know, centrally discussed with the, you know, the Chinese government, CBRC, mm. I would say officer to get some kind of fundamentally, I would say, the general agreement, and understanding at least, for this kind of agreement. You know, I think for all the Chinese leasing and also banks, they, I think conceptually, they support this kind of, you know, this um, agreement, mm. because green is always good for everyone, you know, yeah. especially in the shipping side, because shipping already produce some kind of the, you know, pollution, you know, not good for health. Right now, that's why in China, especially like a big cities, 
they use the gas to replace the coal mm. because they want to have the more healthy environment. So, and um, but you know, I would say the, because the document is 100 pages, unfortunately. I, I have the chance to access this document. <laughs> and it's a bit complicated, you know, for the, for the people not in the, I would say, the legal background, also in the shipping background, also in the financial background. Mm. It's harder for them to understand that. So, you know, for that case, you know, no really the bankers in China can 100% understand everything inside. That's why it takes some time for the Chinese banks and the, you know to step by step to understand okay, what's the really you know line by line to understand all the information. If it's very simple, say okay, we support the green bond, we support the green shipping, just one sentence. I think all the banks can say yes, we need to support this one. But now it's all hundred pages. <laughs> That's why it takes a bit of a long time. But I think for the long term view, eventually everyone would would be in the same page. Yeah. Don't worry. So. We will watch this space. Um, but for now, uh, Bill and Sichen, thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. Uh, we'll be back to you next week from London, hopefully. Um, but for now, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back to you next week. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Very good.